Hello, guys. This is uh, Jaws Blake of the Painter Files Podcast. As you well know, it is episode 93. Come away with me, and I will show you magical things. It has been a uh, interesting uh, month so far. I have finished the hard part of my Inktober poster. Did I tell you I was doing a big poster for Inktober? My Inktober, Inktober. Um, yeah, it's been just cool. I did 31 images. And I made it into like a big old like uh, wrestling match type of thing with half of them in the crowd cheering on and then like two characters in the middle kind of doing their thing. And I really love it, honestly. Like I feel very happy about it. I'm looking at kind of like these images of some artists that I really liked throughout the years and how they've done kind of black and white illustration because most of the stuff that I've done as you know, I typically do color. I don't really do um, black, just monochrome stuff. But I'm giving it a shot, honestly. I've got a few color inks that I've thrown in there. Uh, Mars, I made Mars red. I made the Gundam uh, some colors. And I think, I'm trying to remember if I made anything else a color. I think that might be it, actually. But it's, um, yeah, it's just beautiful. I think I'll make the fox. The fox I made red. That's what I did. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just lovely, you know. You want sometimes to do these really fun things, and given opportunities, you have a chance to do them. So you are. I'm, I'm really enjoying kind of doing like the subtle little details, the stipplings, the, like the crosshatching, the kind of stuff where I'm, I'm giving shape and form and depth and distance and stuff like that. And it feels really good, honestly. It just, it just does. It's got this kind of really unique niceness that I've, I've really enjoyed making. And also, announcements, announcements, announcements. I'm doing an event, an online uh, event with Nerdy Bebop. So that's going to be really cool. That's going to be on Saturday, November 14th at 6 o'clock. So I'm going to be one of the featured artists for the Artist Alley that they're going to have. I don't know exactly what I'm doing. I definitely know I'm doing something. Uh, I've got so much art, I'm only making a, like two new pieces that I can kind of sell and promote. But beyond that, um, and they'll all be up for digital uh, on my store so people can actually buy them there. And then it'll ship it out to them. And, you know, I'm using my, uh, my store and V-Store, so it just feels good, man. I'm excited. I honestly wasn't sure I was going to be able to do a show at all this year. So I think that may have been why I was kind of slow on how much I created this year compared to last year and then the years before, because I knew I couldn't really do anything with them and I was just going to sit in my studio. When you're doing little stuff, it's not so bad, but, you know, I've moved on to my bigger things. And my big stuff, it's very difficult to then make stuff and then not do anything with it. So, here I am, 
doing stuff with it. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's really, really, really fun though. So I am excited, Galeros, my Genshi, my, my people, my folks. I love it. I love it. piece with ink and stuff. I keep thinking about my old professors and my old art stuff that I learned. And one of the bigger things is you have to constantly be a student of the art you're indulging. Which is always kind of interesting because I don't think people understand like it's not about staying in art school forever. That's not the point. It's that as you make you learn to kind of pick up techniques that that work for what you're doing. Like I myself, I'm not a photorealistic painter, so it is not necessary for me to practice things in that way. But I do think it's really important to try and figure out how to see these artists that you think are really great and enjoy their techniques. It just has like a really important kind of aspect to it. Like see the art that you really, really, really enjoy and then figure out what about that art that you enjoy. What about, the, what is it about that art that you enjoy? And it doesn't mean you need to copy what those people do. But there's something that should be said about, you know, what, what is it that you like so much? What drives you? What brings you forward? What sees all the kind of great little ideas that you have floating around in your mind? And then work off that. It's just important. It's important that you love, you love the work that you do eventually. You don't have to love it initially, but at some point in time, the goal is to work towards loving what you make. So, get to work. Being a sponge is as important as being a brush.
idea of having to set the make a lot of something isn't so much an issue for me. Hell, half of my paintings are done. Are mostly done in a day. In the in a 24-hour span, anyways. Nothing. Nothing about them is anything less than, you know, me making it when I want to make it within the time span in which I'm, I'm making it. So it's just kind of funny when I think of October how there's like all the stress to like make artwork and not give up halfway through. But truth be told, it's more difficult for me anyways to slow myself for 30 days. Because <laughs> that's what it feels like. It feels like I'm stopping. And I'm going. Because I'm not making all my extra projects I make. I'm not making all my little tiny pieces that I constantly am drawing and sketching and painting and so on and so forth. Like, I'm telling myself to slow down and make less and be responsible and finish these projects specifically in a certain way before they start, before I start them. And that's a little maddening. And it's, it's just very interesting to me how it all comes together. Because it, it's very much not the way I make things. You guys have been watching me make for forever. seen my process. I'm just mad. Which <laughs> is the beautiful part, honestly. I think being madness is important. I think the madness is one of the better parts of being. Is that you just go forward. Do everything you possibly can. And you just let it kind of exist afterwards. basically like commission work is what it is, <laughs> which we all know I, I kind of hate doing commissions. I still do them, but I do hate them a little bit. I feel like people are too demanding with commissions. They forget that, you know, art is meant to be this thing that just kind of exists. because I didn't feel like I did enough. 
pretty remarkable. Tells you so many details, like so many details. But I'm okay with that. I think it's gonna be really beautiful. I've been studying a bunch of artists that I really, really like throughout the years, trying to see how they do certain things in art. And I think I've come to some conclusions about what I want to do, how I want to build these things, how I'd like to finish this. It's an interesting case of madness. <laughs> I've got all these, like, inking tools sitting around that I never use because I'm, I'm so used to my way of doing them that I just don't use anything else. And I mean, I've got hundreds of brushes all over my studio. perfect lines made by these ink droplets and I think that's probably the craziest part because as we know I like to leave it more to the wind on how these things turn out I'm not really a, a stickler on how just each one of these lines comes out that's kind of the thing I love about about ink. Like it's not really predictable. And some of these things, like my bamboo drawing rods, like I don't, I don't use them enough to be incredibly proficient with them. So I'm just kind of rotating them around my hand, trying to get these lines right. working. I'm just forgetting all the things I'm learning. As I'm learning them, trying to make them more along the lines of everything. But I don't want to put too much ink on it. I don't want it to blur. No blitzing. subjective beast and the only opinion that really matters is yours about the work you make I think sometimes if I'm making something with Sumi ink that I have like this idea of what I want the ink to do which is kind of fun because it's Sumi ink so it just kind of does whatever the fuck it wants and that's always funny to me it's probably the absolutely most unpredictable ink I have because it is water-based. Water-based means that when I finish it, it may completely smudge or turn with the next move that I do. And so I have no real control after it dries where it's going to end up. It's a little nerve-wracking. It's working like a glitch right now. Because I, I made it 
so it happens in amphitheater. Keep making like me pass this French artist. Now he does his line art. And I'm not trying to make it like Macbeth does, but I want to have the consistency that he does have. And that's rather difficult, actually. I love my madness, but he, to me, he's on a different level than most artists I see. And I think of like Ping Zhu. Things is kind of great. She's like this incredible artist. And Suki's got this amazing art. And then I just keep looking at all these like famous ink artists that I love. From like Europe and France. Sorry, France is in Europe. And Japan. It's hard to like talk and do this. I'm thinking like five steps ahead, so then my sentences are catching up with my brain as I'm saying them. True madness, true wonderful madness within that. And then yeah, it's that whole dire moment of trying not to smudge anything. something we said about like making something the way you want to make it and if you don't you just kind of feel like you're failing yourself in a way with your art and I like artists know this but you know there are a lot of non-artists out there who follow all this stuff by the way thank you for everyone who's been listening to this I had a huge bump this week there's like 50 new listeners. So thank you and welcome. But yeah, I don't know what I'm saying. Heart, heart, heart. There's just this consistency on everything. Tom is under my desk messing with somebody. And it's just really beautiful. And there's something under the drawing which is going to screw everything up. Well, it's gonna mess up the line. But I'm okay with it. Jeez, Joe. You're just. You're the least professional person I know. show you all these little kind of things. I don't even mind that like ink spills and stuff like that. This building kind of has like a sexy quality to me. Because 
it reminds me of like just the unpredictability of of making all these things that you don't you don't always have complete control I'm like that is a really really good thing actually I think the the attempt at trying to control all this there's just no real point to it Always fun when you have plans and then you just decide to sleep all day instead. That is uh, what today turned into. Had this medium format rule that I was planning on finishing so I could develop. Did not happen. I was just too sleepy. So I just rested up today. And I'm going to the store to get some burger buns because of veggie burgers tonight. So, it's going to be good. Sometimes you just have to treat yourself. Even if you have plans all day, you just have to treat yourself and do something nice. Because, I mean, why work so hard if you're not going to be nice to yourself? So, today... We're going to talk about Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the Tulsa riots that happened in 1921. So, for those who don't know, there was a giant kind of economy that grew out of Tulsa during the 1920s. And, well, ended in the so, Tulsa, Oklahoma, segregation was really high still in the country for a very long time. And black people had to live separately a lot of, in a lot of ways. And so, Tulsa, Oklahoma was like a little patch that they had kind of allowed black people to live. And they'd made their own town, their own economy. It was known as Black Wall Street. And essentially, the government of Oklahoma around that time firebombed and murdered all those black people. Not every single one of them because there are some that I believe are still alive from the 20s now. I think there's probably only a few of them left. So some people did survive. But they basically eradicated them. Now, I'm telling you this partially because, you know, it's always good to educate people. But also... Because, like all economies and all things that grow, they had booming economy as well as, like, even an art scene. And the problem that I've always found with just most things... Because most people, when they think about just kind of the wiping outs of people and whatnot, all they think about is World War II. They think about the Nazis. But there have been other groups in America, specifically, that have been as vicious if not more so in some cases particularly for the long for the longer period of time 
It's not to downplay World War II by any means. The Holocaust is despicable and horrible. And my heart goes out to everyone who's ever been touched by it. But I don't want to downplay stuff like Tulsa, Oklahoma either. Because there were a lot of Tulsa, Oklahomans. Uh, and, you know, they were basically just kind of murdered and killed and eradicated and tortured and held back and etc. And there's two theories that go into this. One, there's so much art that was probably lost during that time frame that could have shaped the way America kind of grew and changed. Because art is culture. And then two, because they spent so much time trying to hold these people back from all different worlds and wilds and whatnot, that they basically kind of fucked their own system up a little bit. Like, you look at Tulsa, Tulsa's never really done well for itself since Black Wall Street fell. And it's because, like, that was their, that was their culture, that was their art, that was their, their money, that was their, there was a lot going on there, and it kind of was wiped away, and there was no possibility of anyone coming along and then replacing it, because, like, these were the great minds of their generation, and they wiped them out. So, we are going to talk about how the world probably would have been different right now. Because that's a big thing. We see a lot of kind of ways that things have gone recently. And even before 400 years or so back. And you wonder, or I wonder, what would life have been like had these places been allowed to flourish? How would art be different? We have a very, like, white version of, of art when people think of art. And with all these different types of things where people think of, like, sophistication and, like, economies and all these things, like, a lot of times those, those spark entire Harlem Renaissance-esque type things. So what would it have been like? I wonder... It's an interesting thing. Well, going to the grocery store, that I've I've realized how much my neighborhood that I've lived in since I guess now 12 years has kind of changed a bit. Honestly, like it's this kind of it's very gentrified now, so it's just kind of strange. Like I see people I normally would never see here, and although it's interesting. It's kind of strange at the same time. Like, I don't live in a particularly, like, white suburb. So it's interesting that, like, it's slowly kind of changing into that. Like, as it goes, people are starting to realize, like, you don't have to pay thousands of dollars a month to live in a place that's really, really small when you can pay, you know, maybe close to $1,000 a month 
to live in a place that's huge in comparison. It's just this, uh, and, the fr- and the people are friendly, and it's just nice, you know? It's, it's interesting. Like, I'm, I'm happy to share a space with people. As long as people aren't trying to change it, I don't, I don't see a problem with it. It's so interesting because I'm like, they're building this thing called the Purple Line. I say this because a lot of you, uh, and now the hundreds of you, which is still crazy to think, um, don't necessarily live here. So they've got this thing called the Purple Line. It's going to be kind of like a trolley car. Now, a trolley car feels like such an old-fashioned thing to say, but it's, uh, it's what they're bringing back. Uh, DC's always kind of had trolley cards, but never really in this part of Maryland. Somebody told me a couple weeks ago that they thought DC, they thought that Silver Spring, Maryland was a neighborhood, one of the neighborhoods, the quaint neighborhoods of DC, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Um, it made me laugh because I was like, it's a full-on city, so it's kind of funny. And it's it's not technically in Maryland. I mean, it's technically in Maryland. It's not technically in D.C. So it's very interesting to kind of see how, like, people see the places that you've lived in. Because, like, most of this neighborhood is made up of... Like, I live in Tacoma Park, which is different than Tacoma Park. Um and like Langley Park and stuff like that and it's mostly made up of like a lot of Spanish kids and a lot of like a lot of Spanish and like Ethiopian and yeah honestly yeah so you've got like Hondurans, Ecuadorians, Mexicans uh, not really a lot of Brazilians a little bit of Indians and mostly like Ethiopians and Eritreans so it's a very interesting place to see like a, a lot of different foods and flavors and cultures and like people are very friendly like it's just it's just nice and then you've got like these other people who are kind of moving in from like Virginia basically and I don't know that they're used to the the way people are here I think they've got they've had like a they've had an idea of what they think DC and the greater areas are like and what the people are like. Because all they've ever seen is probably like television and like misconceptional type of things. So it's very interesting to see them kind of meek tow themselves around the area. And it's, um, I mean, it's weird. It's funny, but it's weird at the same time. Like I'm, I'm more than happy to have more vegan places to eat. I love that, that sounds fun. Uh, but it's, it's very strange to see like Starbucks's pop up quickly and like construction go down so they can have like bike lanes and stuff like that on streets that are already like super busy and always have traffic so it's just kind of like ugh. the idea of someone having to bike through this seems kind of dangerous to me like I wouldn't recommend it I mean I don't feel comfortable really walking that often around here but you know this is how the world changes Lots of different people mixed together, just different different shades of brown, you know, as they populate and become intertwined. But it excites me because of the art. The art is insane. Like to see how the art has changed so much in the last few years from the artists and festivals and all that stuff. It's just, it's really cool actually. 
see how it's all come together the way it has. I'm like, I really like it. I'm seeing like art from all over the world and it's kind of fascinating. And I guess I'm not really sad about the money these people bring. Like they, they have incomes that the rest of us have not had before. And so we benefit from it. But I mean, you may not like the lake you live in, but you know, you still got to swim in the water. So it's interesting. Just interesting. So, back to the poster. Getting on it. Gotta get certain things done. Before all this ends, <laughs> before this month's over, I still got a really long time in the month to get it going, which is cool. Cause I hate stressing about this shit. It's just too, it's too easy to be overwhelmed by everything. So you have to just kind of give yourself the time in which you know you're gonna work. I think the best advice I can give to any young artist trying to do anything like what I'm doing is buy quality paper. I say this not to be a snob in any way, shape, or form, but you need to understand that if you're not buying quality paper, you're probably going to end up overworking the, uh, you're probably going to end up overworking the paper that you have. It's just kind of a thing that happens when you do like ink washes and stuff like that. Like you can do an ink wash, it can look really good, but if you don't use the right paper, it just kind of all bleeds together eventually. And then you're kind of screwed. So you gotta make sure that you don't do that. <laughs> it's really, really, really important actually that you just kind of Spend the extra two dollars because that's really all it is. You don't have to buy like huge rolls like I do You can buy them by just the sheet if you need to and The sheets are only about probably like four or five bucks Just for that's right for a sheet of paper now the sheets of paper are like Four to five feet long. So I mean you're getting You're definitely getting your money's worth. It's just you have to be prepared to spend that. When I first started art school, I was not prepared to spend that. And it wasn't so much that I didn't want to, it was that I, I literally didn't have the money to do it. So, I mean, that is a reality. Sometimes you're just broke. Sometimes you're poor. Like, it sucks, but I mean, it is, it is what it is on that aspect. Now for those artists, I suggest cheats and ways to get around things. Sometimes what you can do is you can take two inexpensive sheets of paper because I won't call them cheap sheets of paper because they're not cheap. There's no watercolor paper that's cheap, but there's there's definitely like, learn the difference between hot press and cold press. Cold press is my favorite type of paper to use because it, it absorbs really well. It's grainy. It's got just a texture to it. 
hot press is very like heavy but smooth typically and it doesn't it doesn't exactly take on paper the same way take on the letter the same way on it and for what i do for my style in which i make it's not it's it doesn't work for that it'd be like trying to take watercolors on concrete or something like it's just not it ain't working it ain't working i remember a long time ago i got commissioned to do a mural not really a mural i guess kind of like a fun painting on a glass window with paints that the place had supplied for me and the problem was they didn't give me the right paint so i did all this painting it looked really cool it was like a they wanted like a botanical painting type of thing and I did that. I really liked it. The colors were cool. They popped. They did, etc. The sun hit it, and within about 30 minutes to an hour, it all just kind of fell off. <laughs> it really sucked because I was really proud of it. I mean, I still got paid, but it was just kind of one of those things where it was. I wanted to take pictures and I wanted to use it for my portfolio at the time because I was a young artist and like it was really exciting. And then it wasn't. All of a sudden, it wasn't anymore. I'm so sad. I don't want that for you. I don't want you to be sad. Like, ever. I can't protect you from all things. Uh, it's not what I do. Nor could I, even if I wanted to. But if I can give you little kind of keynotes so you can get around all this bullshit, that's what I'll do. It's, it's super important, honestly, to just kind of let... Let yourself have the moments to just kind of be creative and not be fearful. Because I will say that definitely stunted the majority of my painting on windows for like a decade, basically. I don't think I had done it again since then. Till probably very, very, very recently. And it's just know your materials. Sometimes you gotta look up and read up on them. Sometimes you gotta ask questions. You just gotta be willing to figure out what the next step is you know like can you make something that does the trick on what you want it to do as well as does the trick on what you need it to do and then you find like a medium in between that like a happy medium because sometimes you don't have $160 for a roll of paper and economy wise it's that's actually an easier way to do it but I know the difference between a better something someone telling you something's a better deal compared to I've never had that much money at my disposal at one time to spend on something like that because that's real that's like a real thing right there and I feel like a lot of the advice that some artists get it's not real for what it is you know it's, it's weird they go like yeah you should uh, totally buy like two to $300, you know, supplies. And it's just like, I don't live that life. I can't, I can't live like that. I'm not allowed to spend that much money at a time on one object. And I get that. Like you might need new shoes and not like you want to style and stunt. Like you might actually need new shoes. You may have worn through the soles of your fucking shoes. And that is more important, honestly. You might need to pay your rent. You might need to eat your food. You might need to do all types of stuff. 
But when you get to that point, when you reach that level, and you can do that, and you've saved up, or you've run across a lottery ticket, or whatever, then I really honestly suggest you try it. Uh, I have a few brands that I like. I don't think brands are really that important when it comes to paper. I feel like film has like more importance as far as film goes because it, it ends a certain way. But uh, I would say if you can get like a block water paper, that is sometimes better. You can get a lot out of those. And you can kind of just keep rolling and going and, and moving forward and stuff like that. And that's really cool. So just give yourself the opportunity to try these things. And I mean, if you know an artist like me in real life, like ask me if they can, you can have a sheet of paper. I'll give you a sheet of paper. <laughs> Hell, if you email me at my email address, uh, jawsblake, sorry, not job, that's not my email. Um, if you message me on my website, jawsblakeblog.com, I will, you know, we'll figure it out. I'll, I'll send you a sheet of paper. <laughs> it's very possible. We'll figure it out. We'll figure out a way, you know? I just want you to be able to like make things and do things. I think sometimes the best parts of all the stuff that you do is just the opportunities given to then be things. Like, I didn't really get my stride until I won like a little scholarship. And that little scholarship gave me so much paper. And in a lot of ways that changed how I was able to make stuff. And I really love that. Give yourself these opportunities, Galatas. It's really important. Be open to the idea that you can make something amazing. You're not wasting paper. You're creating. So, Galatas, about two weeks ago, I wore my one of my Black Lives Matter shirts to work. I've worn Black Lives Matter shirts probably, I don't know, a hundred times this year. I have several. I designed a few. I even bought a few from other artists. Um, and for a while, I really, for like the last two weeks, I haven't really worn it because of the situation that happened at my job with this crazy old uh, Russian man who had, he had a lot to say about Black Lives Matter and about how I was brainwashed and all this type of just tawdry bullshit. And I got a lot of responses from a few people, uh, <laughs> which doesn't make sense as a sentence. Um, I got some responses from a few people, had a few discussions, and I guess the thing that I, I want to fully illustrate about it is I, as a person of color, specifically a Afro-Latino man, specifically a West Indian black man, um, deal with a lot of kind of old white guy racism. 
deal with a lot of white guy, old white guy racism. I got people running out in front of me while I'm driving. Uh, on uh, probably, on, I'd say on at least a, not every day, but I get hit with bullshit probably about every other day. Somebody says something or infers something. I'm aware of what they're saying. It'll be something like, when you got to cut all that shit off your head, once you get a respectable haircut, all those tattoos, you look like a cholo. That's my favorite. Um, there's, there's just so much. You should be clean cut. You know, look more presentable. And then they name a bunch of black people that they feel are presentable. Uh, that are very, you know, kind of upper crusty, white collar type folks. So it's not really about the shirt. I mean, I definitely think the shirt probably helps to some extent for those who don't feel quite as emboldened to say something. But it's not a it's not a what you wear. You know, it's no more than women being harassed by men. It's not really about what they have on. It's these men like to harass women. And that's it. They just do it. You could have a burlap sack on and they'd still say something about your ass. I could be... I, I remember being very young in college and realizing after a, several kind of instances of being... of just like facing people that were ridiculously racist that if I wore long sleeves to cover my tattoo because I only had one at the time and I took out my earrings, which I had a lot of, I'll admit. And uh, I took all my necklaces off. This was the 90s, so be kind. This was like 1999. Everybody wore like seven fucking necklaces. So don't judge me. Uh, <laughs> and giant-ass pants. Giant-ass pant legs. Um, yeah. This, I realized there was like, there's nothing I can do where someone's not going to treat me different because I'm not white basically like there there is no there is no point where there's no there's no point I can agree with them on there is no there's no attitude there's no dress there's no style there's no nothing like I at that point I had shaved my head I had like a buzz cut and you know I was very I think at that point, I'd, I'd gotten to the point where I started just wearing, like, regular jeans. Because I couldn't find Jinkos anymore, and the pairs I had were falling apart. So, yeah. It got to that point where I just, I realized it was like, this isn't you. There's literally, literally nothing you're doing that makes these people act this way. They just act this way. So, yeah. I'm wearing the fucking shirt today. And I'm going to wear it any other day. Because in all honesty, like... Fuck those people. Also, I have reached a new milestone. I have gotten a thumbs down on my YouTube videos. Which is funny, because like literally you don't expect to see thumbs down. Unless somebody has like hundreds of views, not like 20. <laughs> but Or thousands of views. 
it's interesting. We've reached a milestone. We've we're popular enough that people who don't want to watch us watch us and then they thumbs down us. So Yay! It's hater season. <laughs> the leaves have fallen and the haters have come inside. Now they're watching things. It's alright. To all you wonderful, beautiful people, my Genshi, my Galeras, just realize that like you are incredible and you are worthy and you are beautiful and amazing and no matter what you'll always be those things and i believe in you side note also a personal pet peeve just personally for me (laughs) uh it is a a very very volatile time to not be washing your hands to be trying to split food with people to be trying to just not be safe you're you're not only putting yourself in danger you're putting other people in danger so i don't know why people still do this but like why are you guys like breaking donuts in half and then like putting them back in the box like this is a dangerous time it's a very specific <laughs> it's a very specific thing to say but like ew, gross like i don't want to come near that box anymore like it's not a safe time to do shit like that. Like, I personally don't like the idea that, you, that you've decided for someone else that they're going to have to share a piece of food with you that you've touched with your hands. In general, I feel like that's kind of an invasion on someone else. But specifically, and I understand what people are going to say. Oh, well, like, I didn't want to eat the whole thing. So, you know, I didn't want to waste it. So I put it back. Yeah, but there's, like, a pandemic going on. Like, I would rather you not eat the other half of the donut and throw it away than to potentially make someone else sick. Side note, whenever people reach into a donut box, I don't watch people oftentimes go and clean their fingers or wash their hands. So that within itself is nasty, but then you're taking something and then throwing it back in a box. I work in a garage. My garage is gross. (laughs) We're going to shop. We have grease and dirt and grime everywhere. It is particularly not a good place to be sharing finger foods with people in general. But let alone, once again, COVID-19. All right. Well, that's all. Thank you. I have ranted and now I'm done. So there's this interesting concept that hits oftentimes a lot with uh, communities, first generation communities of color. And this works for art, this works for life in general. It's very funny because like, you're taught to kind of keep your head down, like succeed incredibly, but also at the same time, keep your head down as much as possible. Like, if you draw attention to yourself, like, you're doing something wrong. But you're also meant to be as successful as fathomably possible. Like an incognito Bill Gates. (laughs) It's an interesting concept, because, like, you can't really be both. Like, these people have made their, their mark in the world because they did everything they could to stand out. They made stuff and put their 
they made stuff and they had to go out and put their face on it and basically beg for the attention and the money of others so it's it's kind of an interesting strange type of thing like you definitely don't protest but you do go door to door knocking on everyone's door that you could ever meet to get them to help you in some type of mainstream financial idea process or idea it's just such a conundrum and like a it's a mystery wrapped in a circle wrapped in a box that is hidden under your stairs but has a speaker inside of it that's telling people to look at it at the same time it's such like a weird little thing it's a funny thing but it's it's weird at the same time and i don't know i think it's i think in a lot of ways because the wires are crossed like it's it's very intuitive it's very like non-intuitive there we go because it doesn't really make sense like how can you not exist in front of something and yet beg to be the front of something hmm I don't know I do not know I remember like a long time ago when I first started being an artist like a real artist not just like a kid that liked to paint but like I thought of myself as an artiste (laughs) I would be really kind of in my shell but at the same time i would occasionally like make something and then have to show everyone but i wouldn't say anything (laughs) and just kind of make a point to publicly do something so people could see it over my shoulder and then say things and then i'd get totally shy about it it was just this weird i'm sure many artists have had a very similar situation they kind of lived through it's just funny it's it's very nonsensical but perfect within its nonsensicalness. Art is not one way. Make however you make and then just try and do all that you can in the process of doing those things. You'll get there. You guys will soon you make uh, you make this worth doing so thank you it is a amazing road to almost be at 100 episodes and have such a huge following develop as it goes on the last episode has all has like 200 listens we got another 50 people listening to this podcast that's so crazy <laughs> thank you so much to everyone uh, I love you, Gladys, and uh, have a good week. Been around. Ciao.